It was like a really happy surprise of how ridiculous and insane it came out. This isn't just all over the place for no reason. It's telling an arcing story. I think we all kind of wanted something bungle-esque. I've never started a song, you know, hitting the ground running that ferociously. This song, in its infant stages, was a little bit shocking to me. I like to look at a bunch of angry men and poke them gently with my queer feminist stick. everybody and welcome to tracks the official Avenged sevenfold podcast where we take you on a journey through the band's back catalog with the band themselves one song at a time coming in hot and going straight on the nose we love you is a batshit crazy song. I don't care who you are or what you listen to, this song is a head fuck until it isn't. And as such, you're just going to have to come along with us for the ride on tracks this month. Sure, there's the usual interviews and music theory with Sin is coming up later on and there's a chat with Nadia from Pussy Riot about We Love You More, the recent reimagining of We Love You, including how common bonds can be formed in uncommon situations. That's all coming up later on. But first, I put it to the guys that We Love You is perhaps the most discombobulating song on what is unquestionably the most musically challenging record of Avenged Sevenfold's career. Just my take, so here's M Shadows with his take on what is perhaps the single most out there song in the history of Avenged Sevenfold. You can take that to the bank. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I remember um, kind of finishing it up, and, and you have to realize the, the verses for We Love You didn't get finished or even like we we had verses that we knew could be better. And then the more this, more that, build, 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 all that stuff didn't even exist until we started. We already had the track laid down in the studio. So one of our first listens to it was very late in the process. So the, the reason I say that is that we didn't have a lot of time to live with it. So we didn't have a lot of um, opinions on it. But I so I remember driving home with Brian one night and he was dropping me off at my house from the studio. And we listened to after the vocals had been laid down. And we were cracking up because we're like, dude, that's not even a song. Like, it's definitely not a song. Like, you can't, like, what is the threshold of what a song is considered, right? This is like a it's million a, these things. Are parts. Going, yeah, these are parts <laughs> that are going crazy. And Brian's like, oh, yeah, it's not a song at all. But I love it. And I said, I love it too. And so we we just... It's one of those things where it was like a really happy surprise of how ridiculous and insane it came out. Like we knew there was left turns and this and that, but if you put a normal vocal on there, you get a little bit more of a a thing that doesn't feel so dramatic. Because that's a vocal, that, that whole chanting part is something that we've never even touched before. We would never go there before. So you add the left turns, the stop and goes, the sort of, the key changes, the the riffage, and then you add that vocal on top. Now you've got this sort of weird anthem that lives in this space of something I've never heard before. And so, you know, going home that night and hearing that for the first time, I try to remember those instances because I know that when other people listen to it for the first time, they're going to have that sort of feeling, right? Of like, what, like, what did I just listen to? It's almost laughable. 
And so um, I, I do know probably on that song more than any other, how ridiculous it is. We'll go back to Matt shortly, but what I want you to do is cast your mind back to the first time that you heard We Love You. How did it make you feel? Be honest here, because the band were very, very clear that it probably takes seven or eight listens for Life Is But A Dream to make sense. The fast drums, the weird effect of the mic cutting out, all the ns, ns, ns for a dance party in the middle of this song, some of the fastest, nastiest thrash of the last 10 years, and an acoustic outro resplendent with steel guitars and a choir of mats. It's a weird song, right? There's no way you can slice it up and suggest that it isn't a weird song. It doesn't matter how much you like it. So... Let's start with the mic cable cutting out and then we'll get to why I've pointed out how weird this song is. I promise there's method to the madness, especially the opening act, which is bonkers. You can be anything. On the beginning of that track, the concept was... At first, it was going to be like this falsetto sort of, I mean, and lyrically, me and Brian sat there, we were thinking, this is like two different people talking, right? There's the, there's life. And what do you do when you, when you begin your life? Well, most people are put in front of Sesame Street and everything's beautiful, right? It's, uh, you know, the TV show with Big, Big Bird and, and sunny days, da, 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 and everything's great. And you can do whatever you want in your life and life's amazing. And you're, you're like, number one and, and anything you want to do. And then we throw you straight into the grind and tell you how you have to live your life and what's success and what's, you know, what you want to do and where you want to end up. And we tell you that this is the road to do it. So the beginning of that song, you know, the lyrics are very like happy and, and playful. Once we heard the song, it didn't feel as wild um, as we wanted it to. And we were sitting with Joe and we were just experimenting with effects on this thing called the chaos pad. And we were throwing the vocal, looping it back through, and I was just using my finger and moving it around and doing like robot voice and doing, um, you know, like vocoders and doing um, like distortion and doing like super clean harmonies. And then, then I ran across this thing that was breaking it up. And we were like, oh, it's kind of like you're coming into this world and you're hearing all these things because you're not really cognizant yet to take it all in, but you just keep hearing how beautiful you are and it's amazing and everything's great. So as you're trying to break through the noise, right? You're trying to break through, this voice is breaking up and, and, and kind of throwing you off. And so I think at first, Brian wasn't sold on it. And I was like, kind of, and, and we're like, what do you think, Joe? And he's like, he's like, this song already goes so far. He's like, I think you just go all the way. And so we left it. And that, and that, that was, and that's, that's as simple of a decision as it was. We, this far, the song already went so far that we were just going to throw it even further. Another, you know, questionable decision. So... Yeah, I don't think that thing being clean makes the song better or worse, but I think the thing being broken up makes your ear go, what the fuck am I listening to, right? And so it has a, a reaction to it that is what we want when you put it on. You know, is it skipping? Well, no, actually the vocal wouldn't skip by itself. <laughs> the whole track might skip, but the vocals might. So, so yeah, I don't know what they're doing. And I remember when Bino, our manager, got those first mixes, he's like, uh, don't know if you guys realize this, but the vocal's skipping in the beginning. We're like, yeah, you think? <laughs> then you are come so far. Sunny days, the air tastes so sweet. Flowers green, birds will sing. You mean everything. You can be The term nothing shocking has always applied to me growing up. And I can honestly say that this song in its infant stages was a little bit shocking to me because the skeleton of the song without vocals and without fully knowing the entire idea and direction that it was headed, because you really never know in the studio, you know, you get. You hear it, you kind of have an idea of where you want it to go. But everyone adds their own stuff. You know, Matt's going to add his own vocals. Like, you know, you hear this kind of like techno beat 
And you're like, okay, this is funny. Like we love DeAntward and we love techno. We love Daft Punk and we love like Ramstein and like, but where is this headed? And then all of a sudden you get the vocals and it's like, whoa, this somehow fits into this song and makes it heavy, but it's kind of dancey. It's kind of, I don't know what's happening. I mean, it's, it's all over the place, but for some reason, I think that it works and it keeps you interested and keeps you entertained and keeps you going back to it. I mean, the song in general is kind of a schizophrenic musical journey. We wanted the song to start off aggressively with a, a hardcore beat. And within that hardcore beat, I play some, some odd figures on, on the kick just to, uh, you know, set the tone. I've never started a song, you know, hitting the ground running that ferociously. And then by the time uh, Brian kicks in with his fusion jazz metal chords, the listener can't really comprehend what's happening, at least in the first 16 bars. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, it's just, it was, you know, uncharted territory that we wanted to explore. The part that was the most out there for me that I couldn't wrap my head around was the beginning after uh, Brooks's drums, you know. When it kicks in, without vocals, those chords are really, really weird. And I didn't like them. And I, was, I didn't like the run up. I was like, where is this headed? Like, I just don't get it. Then when I heard the crazy vocals on top and understood the philosophy that it's kind of supposed to sound like a Sesame Street jingle of like everything's okay and everything's great. And all of a sudden it just turns dark. Like there's a philosophy behind it. It all made sense. I, I agree with Zach, and I totally admit that, like, there was a lot of this song that I did not get. And I just just kind of had to trust uh, Shads and, and Sin on it, you know. They they had the vision in their heads, and it wasn't until, you know, piece by piece I started to understand it more and more. But, like, it was like it definitely took the layers to really get what we, what, what they were trying to accomplish there, you know. It's already all over the place on the intro. It just keeps going the it, it, the the transitions and the chord progression is is like one long runoff sentence that just abruptly ends and it's uh which is great i love when music does this that's not i'm not a, i'm not opposed to it but i didn't get the vision of why we were doing it <laughs> so um but it wasn't until everything started to come together then you get to the you know the euro dance beat uh that we that we go go with you know and, and with a you know the heavy heavy guitar riff I guess I think I realized how special the song was going to be when we were tracking at Costa Mesa Studios and we were putting together the actual sounds that would be on the on the record, not what was demoed. Like the demoed stuff that we did before, which usually is really good. I mean, uh, Brian has an extensive library of samples that to use, and uh, it's awesome. Like it's it's great to have that, and it really maps it. It helps us map it out. But when it comes to actually getting the tone and the sonic thing, we usually like we'll explore that and see if we can make it better. And when we put it on the giant speakers in Costa Mesa Studios for that part, that's when it all came together for me. I was like okay, I see now. Like, okay, this is this is not just crazy to be crazy. This isn't just all over the place for no reason. It's telling an arcing story. And I hadn't heard the lyrics yet. And this is another thing, because it was like the lyrics you weren't on it. Uh, I mean, there was, there was melody and stuff, you know, the ideas. But it wasn't until, uh, you know, that moment when I kind of got it, I was like, Okay, there's a story going on here. And then it goes to the next part. And then you go to the chorus. And then by the second time you go to the chorus, it's completely broken down. And then goes into uh, another 
It's a falling abyss into another stage of hell. Shadows mentioned earlier that the band have stayed away from chanting in songs traditionally. And when I asked him to clarify what he meant by that, we went off into a a different lane of conversation about how Avenged albums are made. And it actually discussed something that we've never gone into before. Yeah, well, it's more of like a um, something I really love about like old Daft Punk is that they always had these little... um, things that they could say that were really simple, but they got like a really deep point across, like technologic, right? Write it, erase it, you know, feel it, cut it, paste it, do it, do it. It's a motif, but it's like, that's our life, right? It's like, and they, and they wrap it all up in this sort of like really cool robotic mesmerizing thing. And where I may have gone before could have been like more this, do that, again with that. And it would have been a bunch of like words that were trying to get the same thing across when you could just do eight mores and eight builds. And it's a simplified version of, oh, I get what you're trying to say. It's it's society wants more and more and more build. And so kind of learning from other songwriters and, and loving the simplicity of a message, but it being a deep message still. Something that resonates, you know, deeply as a human and writing this sort of motif or around this motif really was inspired by, you know, other artists that have done it really, really, really well. Even though that lyric came later than the song, it just had this perfect bed of music for it. Because the music, if you listen, the riffs are constantly changing in the background. They never really repeat. And so having something that's more of a drone over the top doesn't have to interact with that changing riff so much. It's the um, the anchor for it. Instead of the other way around where a riff might be the anchor and the vocal would go somewhere, the vocal is the anchor in this instance and the riff is kind of r- wrapping around that. And so I thought that was really interesting. And it was, you know, it's kind of a happy mistake being in the shower and just it happened grabbed my recorder and just started saying more into it over and over. Fuck, that's wild. It was that literally just that that inspiration, that lightning bolt was in that moment. Yep, listening to the track, listening to the better music, and then just more, 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 more. And then I had to go, you know, and you can ask Brian about this, but I went over to Brian's and I had to sell him on it. I was really worried that he wouldn't see the vision of it because it was so different for us. And to his credit, he did see it. Right when I did it, he's like, that's fucking awesome. Like, that's it. And then we just worked on the lyrics together because I had like eight mores, but I needed 16 of them. And then we had like 10 builds, but we needed 16 of them. So we just worked on the lyrics together, making sure that the correct sort of vision was across and we didn't take any shortcuts and like I guess lose the actual essence of what we were trying to say what is that conversation like when you've got something and you're taking it to Brian like it's such a like as listeners as people who live and breathe these songs when they reach us what is that discussion what is that like well there's very few things that we're willing to go to bat for on our for ourselves Usually the what happens is um you get together and you say, I really like this. This is what this is the vision for it, and you show something, right? And go, maybe we can use it. And you kind of maybe record them all, like a, a demo of it, and then you kind of put it in like a, a folder, right? Of like things that we can that we like. And and certain things like will spark the other person right away and I'll be like, okay, we're working on that. For this, I was so 
sure, but I've been sure before and things have not worked right. Cause you're excited when something happens. And then like a week later, even you might be like, that's trash. Mostly that's what happens. If it wasn't what happened, you'd have records way quicker. Right. It'd be like, Oh, I wrote 20 things today. Records going to be done in three months. It's jumping the student. No, but usually it's trash. And so this was one that I really felt strongly about. And luckily it was one of those things that it sparked with him instantly as well. Now, maybe it was the fact that we weren't completely pumped on the vocal melody that we had originally. And it was kind of doing the job, but not quite there. So maybe it was just this breath of fresh air for both of us that it was like, oh, there we go. But we're actually, one thing that I think we've really grown into is things that um, are abstract or really spark our interest. Now we grab them instantly and then we figure out what to do with them. Where before it might've been like, uh, what are we going to do with that? Now it's kind of like, no, that's what we're, we're going with that. We're stepping into it. So yeah, it's, it's always different, but I know that most of the things I show him are going to get thrown away and he knows most things he shows me are going to get thrown away. I like, I, I've got to throw it out there. The 2033 Life is But a Dream 10th anniversary box set has to have a bunch of this stuff in it. Like, <laughs> there is, there were, for a record that makes so many like, like amazing and unique decisions, like to hear what the other decisions were, that like the ones that didn't fit yeah. that puzzle piece. I mean, we did put out that Diamonds in the Rough record and I almost hate it because... Some fans love that record and I just don't, I just don't get it. And then I just hate, I don't know. It's weird. I have a, I'm like on the fence of showing the dirty laundry, you know, like showing the things we're not proud of because then it kind of gets attached to you. I could wax lyrical about Avenged Sevenfold's first foray into a full-blown rave party that happens in the middle of this song until the cows come home twice. But Zaki reveals the working title to this song, and it is just too perfect. The working title for the song was Techno Viking. After the old internet clip where the dude in like Scandinavia, the big buff dude is like dancing and all of a sudden he's just going. And that video is like, everyone loves that video. It's like, what the fuck is happening? It's legendary. It's like this fucking buff Viking dude is fucking dancing harder than anybody fucking policing the streets, getting everyone else around him to dance at like, you know, four in the morning when the sun never rises or goes away or whatever. And it, there's something so fucking absurd about it but you have to watch it. You have to share it. You have to show your friends. And that was kind of another philosophy of the song. It's like, it needs to be so absurd that you need to be able to say, what the fuck is this? What did I just witness? What did I just hear? I need to show somebody this to get their opinion on it. I fucking hate this. Uh, actually, I love this. It's my favorite thing. This, we just wanted people to say, what the fuck is this? But have it still make sense. You know, there's a purpose to it. But Definitely is a what the fuck is this? When we look at the overall lifespan of the Avenged Sevenfold Back catalog, We Love You is a very new song. That said, when it's being put into the live set on the Life is But a Dream world tour, this song is already striking a massive chord with people live. And we'll talk about the thrash portion of the song a little bit later in the show. But here's Brooks to talk about what that rave section in the middle of We Love You is doing to people in the live environment. It's a barbaric beat. Anyone, you know, any non-drummer could play it. You know, it's it's the same concept as We Will Rock You. If you're not a drummer, you know how to play We Will Rock You. I, I consider the verse the same thing where, you know, I just have to practice restraint and just keep it moving. Um, and, you know, when we play the song live uh which we have been for the last month um by the time we get into that verse you know everyone's moving or everyone's dancing even even the most serious metalhead in the audience that's never heard this part before can't deny that you know the pelvis is moving <laughs> 
Yeah, see, I didn't point out that the nerve that this song is striking with people is straight in the pelvis, but it's good of Brooks to point that out. Okay, so let's talk thrash metal before we get into the meaning of this song, Music Theory with Sin, and We Love You More with Nadia from Pussy Riot. All of that still to come on this episode. But in the middle of We Love You is one of the finest examples of nitro-fueled, hyper-violent, Violent thrash metal that you will hear on any album this year or in recent years for that matter. I don't care if you listen to Frozen Soul or Gate Creeper or you want to talk about other bands from Metals Underground, the thrash metal on We Love You is elite tier shit. We've always come close to that kind of thrash stuff um, when we when we set out to do it. Songs like uh, "God Hates Us" and th- things of those nature. I think it's very much in that vein. You know, little little Pantera thrash. Let's call it Pantera thrash. You know, um, and we've always been big fans of that. And I I don't know that we've executed it better any other time than on this record uh, or on this song specifically. Because, well, here's here's what I like about it is. It keeps changing, and you only get a taste of it. And what it reminds me of, back to the Pantera thing, is uh, Strength Beyond Strength. Something like, it's like Strength Beyond Strength in the middle of a Euro metal prog song, and then you got a piece of Strength Beyond Strength there. And I'm like, that's just fucking cool. Like, I don't know, like, to me, and again, it's not going there for the sake of, let's just throw in the thrash song, you know, like right in the middle of it. No, it's, it's, enhancing the story and telling the story of now you're in now you recognize the rat race it's flashing before you like a fucking brilliant light just burning into your skull like oh my god that is what's fucking going on right now We delved into free will in a big way on the Mattel episode. And with this song referencing everyone from Albert Camus to Big Bird, we go off on some pretty wild tangents again. So here is a longer chat about the lyrics and themes and greed with Mr. M Shadows. You know, they really go through the life of somebody, you know, getting brought here and being told you can do anything you want. Again, if you take all these elements, the free will, the the genetics, the way society is structured, the things that we consider a good life, um, what we consider popularity, what we consider success, um, you get thrown into the grinder and into the rabbit hole. And if you're listening to everybody else, you would be convinced that that is the way you should live your life. What happens is we we get thrown into this thing. We get taken downstream so quickly that when we finally hit the the shore, we realize our lives passed us by and we didn't, we didn't really live in the present. We didn't live in the moment. And all we did was live someone else's dream. And meanwhile, the people that are around you keep telling you how great you are. Hey, you're one in a million. And you know, you know, like all these things, like oh, you're the best, you're, you're unique. You're the best. You're going to be, you can do anything you want to do. Look at the way you go. You're one in a million, and you know it shows we love you. Sometimes that dream suffocates us, and we don't find our true self, or we don't find happiness. And we obviously have a lot of mental health issues in this country, and every every and humans do in general, like um, depression and opioids, and we have all these sorts of things that we're dealing with to to kind of. Uh, mute ourselves, kind of curb ourselves. And a lot of times that's because ourselves don't want to live someone else's dream. We don't want to live up to that, but we think we have to. And so the song really just is a, is a sort of play on society. You know, Steve Cutts is an animator I really love. He did a, a video called Happiness. And that really, I got to see it after we wrote this song, but it really made a lot of sense to me where you see this rat living through society and then all the other rats and it's the rat race, right? And it's building, building, building. And then he gets into alcohol and drugs and then he dies, you know, 
fat and out of shape with an alcohol bottle next to him sitting and watching the TV because he was always trying to live someone else's dream or someone else's life. And uh, so that's what the song's about, really. Just about the, the two extremes of you're great, but you better do this. I know this is a massive question, but like, what is enough or how much is enough? You know, I think that's personal to everybody. Some of us are, are wired to love working. Some of us are wired to keep pushing and that's what we find purpose in. And then some of us are, are wired to not buy into that at all. And they want to, you know, live with minimal things on the beach or in a somewhere that would seem unlivable to someone else. Some people just need enough food to survive and some people want everything. Some people want all the money and power and some people are happy just having a job and, and being with their family every night. Um, everyone has to find their own purpose. And, um, you know, in my life, I'm very cognizant of the things that I think I want, but I'm also very aware that I don't need much. You know, I need my family and I can be happy with them anywhere. And it's something you want to teach your kids, but it's very hard because they want everything. They're young, right? They're, they, they want all the Twitch followers and they want all the V-Bucks and they want all the vacations and they want all the friends and they want all that, you know, or whatever it is, right? And as an adult, you realize that some of us realize that those things, none of, none of that brings you happiness. There's, there's another hill to climb. There's always another hill. So if you love climbing hills, you know, and that, that goes back to the Albert Camus book where dude's pushing the rock up the mountain. It keeps going down, pushing the rock up the mountain. You know? So that's, that's the human experience. And so at some point, you have to realize you just love pushing the rock up the mountain. That's fine. Or just let the rock sit at the bottom of the mountain. And so you just have to come to your own terms with what you feel the purpose is and then at that point, that's enough. I think you're already enough as yourself. That's who you are. You're already enough. That's, that's, that's who all of us will ever be is ourselves. And that's enough. In turn, I think that that's where we all become happier together. You got to be happy with yourself first. I and mean, I know that's the cliche everyone knows that you got to love yourself first. But it's, it's a cliche because it's absolutely fucking true. You're not going to have the confidence in yourself to know that you're enough because, look, if you, if you have insecurities and you're masking it with an ego, which is what, we, what the ego is, it's a nice armor in our emotional life is ego. It's not a, it's not a bad thing to recognize that. It's, that's exactly, and we all do it every fucking day. But if you can realize that you're enough, you don't need that shield. You don't need that ego. And that ego is what's going to cause conflict with the other human being. So I just believe at this point in my life, wherever you are, whoever you are, it's all you're going to be and you're enough. And just to lead us into music theory with Sin, which is going to be along imminently, let's go deeper on how this song is sounding live because there's raving in the aisles going on. There's circle pitting to thrash going on. And While We Love You might be a newer song to a lot of the audience and a lot of the songs are brand new to the audience in terms of them hearing it for the first time. It is already proving to be one of the highlights in the set, not only for the audience, but for the band too. Oh, dude, it's the best. People cannot help but fucking jump and move. Even if they hate the part, they come out of that with a whole new appreciation. There's a reason why fucking raves are so big. There's a reason why hip hop concerts and, and it, people love it. It's because it's driving. It's so big and you can fight it as much as you want, but like that beat hits fucking hard. We don't, you know, we don't do that very often. So when we use it that one time, it's meant to have fun. It's meant to make everyone look at, look at each other around them like, holy shit, this is fucking amazing. I'm allowed to have a great fucking time. Like, and you see smiles on people's faces. Like, that's the whole point. Like, if you're doing your job correctly as a musician, you're creating emotions. And, you know, we've made people cry with our songs. We've made people angry with our songs and fucking fight each other with our songs. But being able to make people fucking genuinely smile and happy, that's as good as it gets also, you know? And I think that's one of those moments.
there's no easy way of putting it. It's not, it's not easy to play these songs. Like, especially, you know, with all the changes that happen so quickly, you're, in, you're into so many different modes and motifs in each song so quickly. Um, uh, which is not something we've, we've done in the past. I mean, we've typically let things breathe, let riffs breathe and, and really bang them into your head until you start to really like them. And this time we're just, you know, it was a little bit more of the, I don't know, the ADHD culture that's out there. Of like, let's fucking, let's trim the fat. Let's, we're not going to, we're not going to sit there for, 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 for 30 seconds on one, on one riff. Unless it serves its purpose, obviously. So, I mean, because of that, I mean, just the writing, it's the writing that causes the musicianship to be a little bit more difficult, right? So, yeah, I mean, playing these songs live already to this point, it feels great. Learning to play the songs in sequence, not in parts like we do on a record, um, is, a di- is a different beast in itself. And that was, that was a bit of a challenge. You're standing, you know, you sitting down, learning first and going through the set. And then you start to maybe stand up, like at least I do. I start to stand up here in my studio where we're doing this podcast right now. And I walk around a little bit more, do stuff. And maybe, maybe I'll even walk around the house playing the songs just in the background, not necessarily listening to how I'm playing them, but just getting the motions of, you know, tap, patting your head and rubbing your belly kind of shit going on, you know? Um, and you're doing it with brand new songs that people have, a lot of people in these arenas haven't even fucking heard yet. You know what I mean? Like, let's, let's call it what it is. <laughs> and we love you. Mr. M Shadows will be back shortly to discuss We Love You More, the part two of the song, and we'll be hearing from Nadia from Pussy Riot too. But first, we tumble down the rabbit hole of music theory with my friend and yours, Mr. Sinister Gates. (laughs) Having spoken to the rest of the guys, and Matt in particular... There's a childlike wonder in the hands of A-plus musicians that is so enjoyable, both in concept and praxis, well, especially when it comes to doing what the fuck you like. Like, everyone create, like, so many bands create and they care if people like it. I love artists making art for the enjoyment of it. How vital a part to Life is But a Dream was that concept? Yeah, it was pretty much everything. And it started that way. And then you kind of forget about it and you just start having fun. And We Love You is a perfect example of pure chaos and not really giving a fuck how seamless everything is. Like that's kind of old school mentality. Have fun, throw a bunch of crazy shit in the kitchen sink to, to like blow minds and have fun. So it's, it's kind of an immature song, to be honest, but it, but it was certainly within... Uh, the parameters of having a fuck ton of fun, pushing the envelopes of creativity. Um, individual parts were definitely were definitely pushed. The limits of thrash, for, certainly for our capabilities, were pushed to the limits. Jazz expressions, harmony, um, simplicity, like with all that shit going around, like how do we make this simple verse like super meaningful to all of us and not just like, or trying to sound like this band or that band, but just and, and have something to say, an outro that <laughs> just doesn't really make sense, but maybe it does to us. <laughs> but it's it's like pure chaos the whole time, and it didn't come together and feel perfect until maybe the end. Uh, I wanted to ask you. You mentioned jazz expressions earlier. Now, the way the chords are in the verses of this song are bonkers like like can you tell me what it was like writing that and um taking that to people and having to convince them well luckily you know i feel (laughs) it's kind of shitty thing to say but not i guess not so much for us but i feel like i'm just very lucky to be in the best band in the world you know i don't (laughs) i feel like i don't have to sell anything i mean i mean there are i guess at this point like we've talked about this um ad nauseum probably but there is that 
bringing things to the table and you get, you know, historically some people might get sad. It's like, what the fuck? You guys don't get it. Yeah. And then it, it's really that I don't get it <laughs> later down the line. And thank God for these checks and balances. But at this point, it, it, I'm just excited to see what's going to work. I don't have an ego. And I don't think any of the guys have an ego at this point. Yeah. We're really excited to see, or actually when we're going to see like a fire started. And that, and that was certainly one of them. And I think we all kind of wanted um, something bungle-esque. Like for me, um, these guys, the rest of the guys don't um, necessarily like, get into this type of language as much as I do, but Holdsworthian. Uh, Holdsworthian? What in the hell is Holdsworthian? <laughs> one, of my, one of my favorite guitar players of all time is Alan Holdsworth, the late great Alan Holdsworth, which uh, uh, Brooks's older brother played with alongside you know, like Frank Zapp and all those guys, but the, wow. the great Chad Wackerman um, was was Holdsworth's guy up until his last drink. Um, Love that. And my my uh, my hero loved himself a, a a pint. So he's just he's on another plane of existence when it comes to chord progressions, um, soloing in particular. Um, but I, I don't think you know the rest of my band really likes to listen to it <laughs> really think, as much as I do. Sorry to cut you off, Sin. It's only that Zaki was like, he didn't, see, he didn't see the vision till the vocal came on this. He confessed to us. He was like, he was like, we were playing the chords and like, it just felt weird and off to me. And then the vocal came on and I was like, oh, I love it. Well, kudos to Zaki because, you know, historically, I think maybe we wouldn't have given it an opportunity, but I never felt reticence from anybody so i appreciate that i mean that's how that's i think that's how we all are we we definitely want to give these things a chance we know that we're all crazy bastards it was one of those things that came with lyrics first so it was harmony first technically chord changes first gotcha. but instead of like doing like you know humming these things we we started off with an idea and, uh, I, you know, we were, having, we were having lunch and I was like, you know, I got a really, really funny reference for this. Um, you guys remember Sesame Street? <laughs> and I was like, dude, let's listen to, to Sunny Days or whatever the fuck that song's called. So it's sunny days, sifting the clouds away. Da, 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 da. I'm like, that's, that's the theme, like inviting you up into this heavenly abyss the unknown you know with delusions of grandeur promises of of everything and then you just get dropped on your head it's all these like colloquial like patronizing phrases like look at you you've come so far look at you go um and then you get dropped in, into the conveyor belt of of hell um after so that was it we all got a laugh out of that i think the the melody came pretty close after it was kind of lyrically inspiring and once you have kind of lyrics they can kind of dictate the phrasing um syllables and and different things like that so so it was one that we like myself in in particular it seemed like we were all having fun that i i was really excited to take some of the most serious um and complicated um harmony that we we had certainly done and not only have a ton of fun with this joke of a lyric, but somehow managed to tie in, I think a pretty catchy uh, melody over that yeah. stuff. Sesame Street in a blender <laughs> with, with fucking with fucking yeah. Slayer and Daft, <laughs> Daft Punk chants and, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. a cowboy outro. Sure, let's go. Yeah, I've never thought of any of those things like that, but that's that's exactly <laughs> it. That's that's incredible. Cowboy <laughs> outro. Final question on this is how do you take something fucked up and make it more fucked up? Will you invite Nadia from Pussy Riot to the party? God wants you. <laughs> More needs, more hits, more 
just done this remix with Nadia and dare I say this is one of the most obtuse songs on your record in terms of difficulty and for someone who doesn't have a complex palette this is a lot to take in and with Nadia it's a lot on top of a lot and I love it man yeah thank you thank you um this was super fun this is the type of stuff that we were just having conversations about doing this these types of remixes and stuff they're easy because we're passionate about it. You don't have to slave over the, the songwriting. You just reinvent the song. So, okay, solo, what are we gonna do with that? Well, let's try a Nintendo part. <laughs> That's fucking great. What are we gonna do with the drums? Well, let's fucking bit crush them. Let's fucking, let's make them super heavy, but let's take out the overheads, let's dry them up, but let's fucking crush them a little bit and, and make it just sound fucking ridiculous. And, um, but it has to be done tastefully. And I'm sure there's a billion people listening to the song going, what the fuck is tasteful about that remix? But for us, taking each part and doing it a different way took many steps of iteration and careful attention to to get what we what we wanted or didn't even know we wanted you know but when we're all happy we're all happy and it's inspired by the fact that when nadia comes on the track it's just that's a fucking vibe and a half there's nothing there's nothing cooler than that does it feel almost reductive to call it a remix it feels almost like a part two a part two wow you know is it a remix no it doesn't feel like a remix to me I, it just it feels like uh uh I don't know. It's just giving it a different life. It's just it's twin brother or part two or something. I don't know. It's something. <laughs> it sure is. Thank you to Sinister Gates there. And this chat, in fact, the interview that you just heard was done the day before the recent US tour started. So a big thank you to him for being on the show this month. And that brings us to the most recent development when it comes to all things Avenged Sevenfold and We Love You. It brings us to We Love You More. And this next clip didn't quite fit the main show, but when we were discussing the decision to keep that sound with the mic cutting out at the beginning of We Love You. It led to a natural conversation about the, the remix, the part two, the reimagining, whatever you want to call We Love You More. I like part two, so I'm going to roll with that. So here's me chatting some bollocks about why the mic cutting out at the start of We Love You is a genius move and how it works, and we'll roll the clip from there, right? in a world where you can always be scrolling or doing something else while the music's on, that something is, what's that, you know? 100%. And then when we do talk about the remix, we clean that all up and we put through vocoder, right? And so that's a different version of what it could have been. And we want a different vibe with that. We want more of a like Kavinsky, like cyberpunk vibe with her. And so it's fun to go in there and you can grab these things and, and move them around and, and have different vibes. And yeah, it's, it's just fun to do. What does it show when you can take the canvas of a song like this and make it sound the way that you have with this remix? Yeah, well, one thing is that we really wanted to experiment with um, hyper pop elements 
Um, we wanted to, we wanted to play with drum samples. We wanted to crunch stuff up. We wanted to make the speakers break in certain areas. We wanted to see what limits we could push because it really interests us right now. And when we decided that, you know, one of the things that we really enjoyed is like we're, we're big fans of like Diane word and um, things that have like female vocals and dance music like that. And so when we decided we wanted to do a remix, we thought a female vocal would be great. We loved the idea of Nadia use, doing in Russian. It felt very childlike, but menacing, right? And it almost took the vision of the song in more of an extreme direction. And so, so instead of just having her kind of come in and do her thing, we, we really wanted to reimagine what it could all sound like. So to take the vocoder and take auto-tune and take this, these hyper-pop elements, this, this crunched drums, these sampled things, these 808s, we just wanted to, to go in the studio and just play around um, and see how far we could take it. And that's what we got. And that's kind of the direction that we're really interested in right now. And I think it's a good kind of playing ground to see what we got and what it feels like, right? And that to me is even more bold than where the record went. It's insane. And, um, but those are elements that we want to get really familiar with and kind of play around with. That wasn't given to a DJ to go do their thing. That was us. We did something with that and we, and we really enjoy what it feels like. I've been following Nadia for a long time and um, she is someone I've really respected what she's done. You know, she was in jail in Russia for a long time for protesting. Um, she does a lot of dance, pop, electro sort of music. She's also very big in the Web3 space, been doing a lot of things um, with everyone from like Rolling Stone, New York Times, like doing tons of stuff. And I've always just watched her and respected her. And, you know, we've never done anything like this where we've brought in like an outside person or done anything like this. but. I felt she was perfect, not only because of what she stands for and not only because we wanted a female voice that was like childlike and it fit like the, the vibe perfectly, but because she's trying to build something and I want to get more eyes on what she's doing. And I think it's a really cool collaboration where it's not like we're just going out and trying to find the biggest artists right now and we're all trying to like jump on each other's Spotify plays. This is something that truly means a lot to me and and Zach and some of the guys that have been following her for long and, and Brian, we've been following her for a long time in the space. And it's, it's really like a, a dream come true to be able to do this with someone that we feel is very, a very special and important person. I just love the daring and the ambition that is shown at absolutely every turn with this band. So let's talk to Nadia from Pussy Riot about all things We Love You More. How did you meet the guys first? How did this collaboration come to be? I've met the guys through Ryan Thinky X. Um, he's uh, my friend, an artist, um, and he asked me if I want to get an intro, um, which we did, and uh, we collaborated in the song. And then when the time came uh, to the release, uh, we also decided to collaborate on, on a balaclava drop uh, and... The guys were super sweet, super, super, super mega sweet. And they asked me if I want to um, pick a charity that I really care about. And I said that I want to um, donate all of the proceeds to North Caucasus sauce. But we can talk about it later, I guess. If that was how the intro was first done, were you were you aware of Avenged's music, of course, beforehand? Like, uh, like, because uh, on paper. Pussy Riot and Avenged Sevenfold feels more odd than I think it does when you look beneath the surface. I was aware of them, uh, but you know what? I'm not. I'm not a person coming from the music side of things. So we're conceptual performance art group. So I I won't be a person who'll tell you a lot about music because honestly, I know like close to nothing when it comes to music and music production. 
all that I care about is coming up with hopefully good ideas and sharing them through the medium of art. And one of the mediums that I use is music, indeed. Yeah, so don't ask me much about music. No, nothing. <laughs> Could I ask, what did you bond on? Because like you don't, you're, you're, like your thought towards creativity is more than music. What were the, the things that when you started working on We Love You together, what were you bonding on with the members of Avenged Sevenfold in terms of your similar interests and similar outlooks artistically? Well, quite frankly, it all started um, on our endless conversations about uh, crypto and uh, NFTs. So we both got quite deep into the scene uh, over the last couple of years. The way I looked at it, um, well, the way I look at everything in life, I look at, is it can, can it be a useful tool for changes that I'm trying to achieve? And it indeed was. We managed to raise $7 million just in two days for Ukraine in the beginning of um, the full-scale invasion of Russia to Ukraine. Uh, we were able to raise close to a million dollars for Planned Parenthood and some other reproductive rights nonprofits in the U.S. when uh, reproductive rights became um, under attack in the States. So I've been using it as an artist and activist and... Um, Matt also was really um, interested in NFC scene. Like he's kind of a iconic figure there. So we started bonding, just talking <laughs> over this bro talk about crypto. <laughs> <laughs> do you think that? Do you think that the public um, understood the the punk in NFTs? Because it felt like it felt like counterculture that was being. That was almost being uh, framed like it was corporate. Um, it's not really corporate. I mean, like there are corporations that are trying to obviously use the um, the, uh, the tech, but initially it was just a bunch of dorks in in their bedrooms. I mean, like initially, like back in whatever 2014 and 16 when Ethereum um, was invented by my fellow. Russian Vitalik Buterin. So it was just a bunch of idealists and nerds and dorks in the best possible sense. And they were trying to see how they can decentralize power, really, the power that comes with resources. And it can be currency, um, but crypto is so much more. Um, it you can build um alternative governance models on on crypto, and there are talks, you know, at, at the actual levels of city administrations in places like Japan on how we can use, how we can integrate blockchain to make our cities just more comfortable and get more input from our citizens about what do they want to see. So it's it's a tech that was initially very idealistic. Then later, obviously, you know, it's it's it could be quite profitable. So yeah. A bunch of corporations and, uh, and also people who are not as idealistic came in. And I think that's how NFTs got their bad rep. But, you know, as in any scene, you have good people, have bad people, and you tend to stick with the good ones. So Matt is one of the good ones. We also spoke with him about Unicorn DAO that I created um, in it's a, an organization, basically a charitable organization for women and LGBTQ people based on chain. What we do, we just buy works uh, created by vulnerable groups of people um, to happen to be these days, this day and age in the patriarchy where we still live in uh, women and LGBTQ plus people. I think it's quite on brand that we love you as a song that's pretty fucked up and then when it goes through a pussy riot filter it somehow comes out the other end even more fucked up mm -hmm. <laughs> i like this a um, mashup of metal and hyper pop 
Um, we didn't call it with the guys hyper pop, but this is how I I would identify it. And I think it hurts feelings of a lot of metal fans, uh, which makes me happy because <laughs> I like to um, look at the, a bunch of angry men and poke them gently with uh, my queer feminist stick. <laughs> I'm a big fan of hyper pop of um, queer performers like Dorian Electra or 100 Gigs. And I collaborated with them on some singles. And I'm also a big fan of contrasts in art. So if you look at Pussy Riot, the name itself is a big contrast, something that traditionally looked at as um, very soft. And people think that um, also Pussy is weak, though it's not true. But that's that's the connotation, right? And Riot, something opposite. So I love contrasts and so in this song we also worked with contrasts of this wall of heavy metal sound and a wall um of male voice and and I also do scream but I think in this song I didn't really have to because I only needed to donate my very feminine rage if you hear other Pussyride songs, I quite often scream, uh, do metal scream and um, fry scream as well. But I think in this song, I didn't have to, um, only had to whisper. And I think the point comes across. More power, more bass, more money, more taste, more sex, more bills, more skin, more shells, more wants, more needs, more hits, more pain, more speed, more drive, more self, more time, build doll, build higher, build far, build While we've got a captive audience, is there anything else that I haven't asked you about that you would want to talk to Avenged's audience about off the back of the We Love You collaboration? Uh, yeah, I wanted to tell more about this uh, charity that we are raising money for. It's called North Caucasus SOS. And it's a group of people who I know pretty well. They're mostly um, out of Russia these days. They were staying in Russia up until the moment when it was physically possible. And then it became, with the beginning of the war, it just became physically dangerous for them to keep staying in Russia. So they relocated, but they still work with people in uh, the most dangerous Russian regions like Chechnya and Dagestan. Some of you probably have seen a movie, Welcome to Chechnya, live on HBO a couple of years ago. And it's dedicated to tortures, kidnappings, and murders of queer people in, in that region. It's it's really sad movie to see. So if you have a um, weak nervous system, I do not recommend you to see that. It's it's frightening how people are still being treated as property. Um, and if your family doesn't happen to like your identity or sexual orientation, they, um, by, by local moral law, they have to punish you. And sometimes they have to kill you to, to save the family's reputation. And this is so backwards, obviously shouldn't exist today. So what this organization does, they bring them to Europe or any other safe country and provide them with political asylum, which obviously is a lot of money. It's tickets, accommodation. They don't have um, right to work just yet. So it's just supporting them, um, supporting their livelihood and paying for lawyers who help these individuals to get political asylum. It's very brave work. People who work in this organization were uh, personally, physically harassed by the Russian police, by ultra-conservatives in Russia. Um, so whenever I can help them, 
I I do. And can, where can people go and support that? Where is there, are there websites or is there where if people are moved by what you just said, is there somewhere where people can go and and help? It is ncsos.io, their website. Thank you for being here with us on Tracks. We have loved putting together this episode for We Love You. And we just did Mattel. We've done a whole bunch of Avenged back catalogues in this style. And coming up next, we've got Afterlife and Buried Alive. We promise you they're coming. They are on the way. So make sure you are subscribed. I've been Bees. You've been really great. Thanks for being with us on Tracks. And we'll see you next time. Peace. <laughs>